Hey, what's up guys? Welcome. Glad to have you back for another video. Today we're asking the question, am I a type 2? And I wanted to just run down a list of, of uh, characteristics of what uh, goes on in the mind and in the heart of a type 2. And this might help you if uh, um, you're on the fence considering whether or not you are a type 2. If you are a 2, this might be a little helpful to you as a little bit of introspection and to see maybe challenge you why you do what you do and why you um, are inclined to behave in certain ways. Um, so let's go down this list. Uh, how to tell if you're a type 2. Realize 2's are you know called the givers or the helpers. Um, another good word for them might be and maybe even more accurately is the pleasers because I really think that type 2's are are really interested in giving and helping because it gets to the to the notion of pleasing people and being pleasing to people. Um, I need to do a video sometime talking about the, the worth group, the twos, threes, and fours, but essentially what's going on, I think, in the worth group, um, or the shame group is sometimes called, is that sense of overcoming uh, that sense of, of shame. Why do you exist? Why are you here? What is your purpose and what are you bringing into the into life to make you you a person of value and of course the threes do that by achieving and by being successful and accomplishing the fours sort of back away from that and indirectly avoid that by being different and unique and uh, the twos uh, I think their method of dealing with that sense of worth and value is they want to be pleasing and they want to be of benefit to you in such a way as to become indispensable so the goal is the unspoken goal is they want to be indispensable to you um, they want to be the person that you can't live without or the person that you can't do without and so that that phrase of like oh we couldn't have done it without you you know is what gives them that sense of assurance that okay i do have purpose i do have worth i do have value because you know i i'm valuable to these people i'm of service to these people so let's go through the the um uh, the characteristics of what it's like uh, what's going on in the mind and heart and think about these in relationship to your family think about them in relationship to to your job or, or to your work you see the work you do through the lens of your relationships okay so work isn't about necessarily accomplishing something great or some great task or doing putting things in order or getting them done the right way the, the ultimate purpose of work is uh, for the people so you're you're working for people your the the relationships are what is valuable to you when it comes to work good relationships and um winning people's admiration winning people's approval so doing a good job is seen as a means of winning people's admiration becoming indispensable to people um so yes there's a sense of accomplishment when a task is done but for a two it's more about I did this and now people are proud of me people you know are thankful are grateful to me and I think it too would get very frustrated with just moving you know files from this desk to that desk I think they want to be engaged in in such a job that it, they see that their life is having an effect on people and people are being you know um, ingratiated to them and that they are you know getting connected to people and that their life is making a difference to people not just moving numbers around or moving budgets around uh, i think that would be that would be very you know 
unrewarding and unfulfilling to a two. All right, so number two, you're motivated by pleasing uh, people um, and you work hard. Um, that positive feedback that you get from, from others validates your effort and helps you to be reassured that you're doing a good job. And helping seems like the quickest road to being liked and valued. And so you're helping others and um, it's, it's leading to you know, positive relationships and positive relationship energy and you're getting that reflected back to you that you are valued and liked and important, okay? Uh, number three, you seek to excel so that the important people in your life will think well of you uh, so that you can be appreciated by others. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with this. I think that we all want to feel appreciated. We all want to feel that our efforts are valued and valuable. Uh, I think the two probably senses this to a greater degree. And maybe even when you hear this, you might tend to like want to push back and, and react against this and say, no, I just want to do a good job. Um, but ask yourself, you know, well, how would you feel if you did a great job, but nobody appreciated it, if everybody just ignored it? Well, you'd probably get frustrated, you know, if, uh, you know, you, you take care of everybody in your family or take care of the people at work and nobody seems to care, nobody seems to notice, nobody gives you any positive feedback for that, you're probably going to be frustrated. Uh, and that's when you see twos go to eight, you know, because then eventually it kind of blows up and uh, they'll let that steam out, you know, they'll let that upset uh, out and, and be known. Okay, next. You believe that you can make others like you. Okay, that's a characteristic of a two. You believe you can make others like you. You think, well, if I just had enough time with people and, they, and I could just, you know, uh, present myself uh, appropriately to people, there's, there's two kinds, in a two's mind, there's, there's kind of two kinds of people. Those that like me and those that don't know me yet. Um, those that like me and those that don't know me yet. And I think it probably flips a, a switch in a two when they get around somebody that just doesn't like them. They just got to think, you know, what's wrong with this person? You know, there's something inherently wrong with them. Um, because, you know, that's kind of my whole personality is, is being likable, being pleasing to people. So there's two kinds of people, those that like me and those that don't know me well enough yet. And if I could just spend time with them, if I could just, you know, um, um, connect with them, then eventually they would come to appreciate me and like me. And I think it probably really is troubling when when twos run across somebody that's just, you know, doesn't respond positively to them. Um, they've got to think there's something wrong with that person. And if you're a two, realize this, that, you know, I think there are a few other types uh, of persons on the Enneagram that that inherently know people aren't going to like me and probably don't care. There's probably, you know, some eights out there and some, you know, maybe some fives, uh, you know, that just couldn't care less if people like them. And they, they don't, they're not trying in any way to make people like them. So if you sense within you that, that desire to be liked by people and to have great relationships with everybody, it, just realize it's characteristic of, of two-ness, okay? Two-icity, there we go. Um, so next, you're able to relate well to a wide range of people. And you have that, you know, not just, you know, the people that are closest to you in your office, but 
but the lady at the service counter, the, the, the cashier at the grocery store, the, the gas pump attendant, the, the old man sitting on the bench, you know, as you walk into the store, you, you have that sense about you that, oh, I get along with everybody. You know, I, I, I don't, I don't see labels on people. I just, you know, treat everybody with love and kindness and, and you have that sense that like everybody will respond to you, should respond to you positively. And you, you can establish rapport easily with people. You know, the waitress that comes at the table, before you know it, you're just in a conversation with her about her hometown and her family and her kids and how hard it is to work two jobs. And, and you just establish rapport with a wide range of people. You're very friendly. You're very outgoing. Um, you might turn and look and see that your family's getting frustrated because y you, you're holding them up. They want to get out of the restaurant and want to leave. And you really are interested in this waitress. And, um, and you can kind of look at your family and think they're not being kind. Why won't they be kind? Why won't they have some compassion on this poor soul, you know? Um, but that's characteristic of, of twos is establishing rapport with, with everybody. Um, okay. Um, and that's one of the things we love about you. You find satisfaction in being supportive to people and to being helpful to people. And um, it's easier for you to give than to receive. Uh, you might probably feel awkward when other people are asking you what you need or how they can take care of you. Because part of part of what you, you you discovered in this in in being a two you know is that if you have needs then other people then have to wait on you and take care of you and that feels selfish to you now it's it's interesting that you and this is kind of the shenanigan you you feel like you're being selfish if if other people have to help you in some way but you totally expect that other people need your help. And so there's that kind of shenanigan. We all in our own types have our own kind of like shenanigan we run where it's not logical. It doesn't make sense. You think everybody, you know, really could use your help in some way, but it feels awkward for you to receive other people's help. Because at the heart of this, what's going on is if you need somebody's help, then that makes you dependent. And being dependent um, strikes against that notion within you that I have to prove my worth. I have to prove my worth by being of service and of being help and, and being indispensable to people. If, if you're the one that needs help, then how are you indispensable to people, you see? So I think it goes against the, your nature to, to, to be able to receive help. Now, I will say that I think that like there are probably times when um, you, you want people to help you. You just don't want to ask for it. You want to know that people are going to be there to take care of you and that value you and appreciate you and that they'll be there to help you in your time of need, but you don't want to have to ask for it. And that can be very confusing for those of us that live around twos and work with twos because it seems like to us that you're enjoying doing all this helping. You're enjoying, you know, whatever it is, washing the dishes or, or cleaning up after the party or whatever it is. It seems like you want to do that. And so people will let you do that and they'll just come to expect you to do that. And 
I think probably inherently in you is this sense of why won't people why won't people reciprocate? They see what I'm doing for them. Why won't they why won't they help me? Why won't they be there for me? And that could get you very frustrated, but realize I think people just start to come to expect you're going to step in behind us and take care of us. You're going to bail us out. You're going to be there for us. And um, it, and people may not offer help to you because, uh, you know, probably when they did, you said, no, no, I'm fine. No, I'm okay. I don't need any help. And so they just realize, okay, well, she doesn't want our help. And then that can leave you frustrated because you think, why won't people help me? But maybe you weren't receptive to receiving, you know, uh, help when it was offered and I think that reason is is because if you are the receiver of help as much as you want it sometimes it cuts against that that desire within you to be indispensable and to be pleasing um, and to be the giver in the relationship okay think about it like this all right so imagine like if you were um, going on a mission trip okay and you went to the other side of the world. You went to India or you went to Africa. You went to, you know, some country where people are just destitute and poor, okay? And you come in as sort of the white American Christian. You know, you've got uh, a pocket full of, of money, you know, in your wallet and a cell phone and nice clothes and all this. And you, you feel sorry for this children's home, all these poor, disadvantaged um, you know, natives, and you you pull out you know what amounts to maybe twenty dollars U.S. and you say, hey, we're gonna have a party. I'm going to throw a birthday party for all of you kids, and you give them what amounts to twenty dollars, which buys plenty of cake for all the kids because their money is you know so scarce. So. All the kids celebrate and are so happy and are so thankful and they come and hug you and thank you. Okay, this is kind of, I think, the way twos um, see the world is, is like, I'm here on this journey to be of service and of help to you. And you legitimately want to. You legitimately want to take care of people and want to. I mean, who doesn't love if somebody comes in and buys them cake, right? And so that is the kind of scenario that, that uh, makes you comfortable is I came in, I found all these poor disadvantaged people, I you know, provided help, service, and kindness and friendliness to them. And then now there's this kind of unspoken expectation that now I'm gonna be surrounded by all this love. You know, All these little kids are gonna jump in my lap and hug me and kiss me and tell me how thankful they are and how wonderful and how great it is for me to visit. What that is in missionary language, that's called the one-up position and the one-down position, okay? The one-up position says, I'm here to take care of you. And so the relationship looks like this. I'm the missionary, you know, you're the mission field. I'm here to take care of you. And so you should respond with gratitude and thanksgiving and look how indispensable I am to you because you wouldn't have clean water if it wasn't for me. You wouldn't have this birthday party if it wasn't for me. Okay, and sometimes people will pick up on that. People over time might start to sense that that's what's going on. And of course, this doesn't feel good. Okay, you need to understand that this position down here, for some people, strikes the, against their core. They don't want to be, you know, 
beholding to you in any way. It makes them feel powerless. And so they may tend to resist your efforts and to resist your kindness and to push back against you. And you think, why wouldn't they? Why won't they come to the birthday party? Why would they be upset? Why are they stomping away from me? And, and then you'll go after them only to find them pushing you away again because it's not comfortable for them to think of themselves to be in a needy position uh, to you. So what you might try sometime as a two is to do the opposite, take the one down position. You know, when you think about it like this, all you're after really is, is the relationship, is the closeness and the connection, right? You can get the connection by taking the one up position or by taking the one down position. If you look at the life of Jesus, he often took the one down position. He would come to the woman at the well and say, will you give me a drink, right? Um, so he initiated the relationship sometimes by saying, I'm the one in need. Would you take care of my needs? And then they would take care of his needs and then the relationship could begin. So whether you're in the up position, it feels better you know, to be in the up position you feel like you're the one that's indispensable. It doesn't necessarily feel good to take the one down position, but relationships and connections can happen either way. You could go to somebody that you trust and respect and say, hey, I need your help sorting out this problem, or I need your help you know, with something I'm going through in my life. I need somebody to talk to. And you may find, as a two, you may find that a whole new world opens up to you uh, building connections and building relationships um, with people, if you'll take the one down position and say, I need your help, would you guys be willing to help me? But see, this may be where it gets sketchy for you is what if they say no? What if they, what if they refuse? What if they resist then? That, that would feel like rejection. And rejection, you know, could be overwhelming if your whole personality, you know, style is built on being indispensable to people. And this is why the Enneagram, I think we need to be careful that we don't manipulate it. That we don't, I don't teach you how to be a better pleaser, okay? Because that's not the goal. The goal is to realize you have everything you need and you are a person of worth whether you get the response from people that you want or not. That's the goal. That's where healing begins, is when you start to realize, I am a person of worth. I am a person of value. I am a person... Uh, who is loved, whether anybody in my life shows it to me or not. So I don't need to try to forge connections with people to receive something back from them. I, I'm liberated from that need. Now I can go in my two-ness and just love people and show grace to people and help people without necessarily needing them to respond to me in any certain way. I think that's really healing. Um, okay, so... I got kind of off subject there, but I think it's all good stuff. All right, so um, okay, so you and you sort of you know help people with the desire that they will respond positively to you, and that they will you know in some return give you something back. So recip reciprocity is the word. Reciprocal relationships is kind of what you're after. Is you know you're going to be kind, pleasant, and nice to people with the expectation, and this is where it gets kind of sketchy, is it's an unspoken expectation that people are then going to return kindness, love, you know, attention, whatever to you. And um, um, that's kind of what makes you feel, okay, I am valued, I am worthwhile, I am important, I don't need to be ashamed 
for existing. Um, but then if people don't show that to you, my guess is if you don't get that from certain people, you'll pursue them a little bit. And when you still don't get it from them, you'll probably just move away from them. And so that would show you that this is not altruism. Altruism is where you genuinely just love people for the sake of loving them. Altruism would love people that are resistant to you and be, you know, um, kind, loving, friendly, gentle. But my guess is, is probably if people are responding to you in a negative way, you'll probably reciprocate that in some way by just avoiding them. You probably won't go after them to be mean to them, you know, hunt them down and make their life miserable. But it may be more like, well, I'm not gonna, you know, spend my time with Jake anymore or with Sam anymore because he's just, you know, he's something wrong with him, you know, something wrong with him. Um, okay. You place a high value on being considerate, empathetic, and unselfish. And that's why people like you. You know, that's why you're so likable. That's why people are drawn to you. That's why people feel comfortable around you is because you're working to not be a problem, to not be selfish. And it bothers you when other people act selfishly or badly. And so, you know, there's an inclination within you to put a stop to bullying, you know, to put a stop to name calling, to put a stop to, you know, teasing because... Um, that goes so against your personality. It goes so against your your way of your modus operandi to put others down or humiliate others or at others' expense because that would be a way to disconnect and your goal is to connect. And so um, realize that when you prescribe that to other people, you know, like, hey, you should stop teasing you need to stop you know humiliating in whatever way you think they're humiliating them um that you think that you should people should just be kind you know be kind that's the way it would feel like to you is just people need to be kind and that's not kind realize you're prescribing your your personality's values on other people's personalities um and you're right, people should be kind. You know, people need to be kind. Um, so I'm not saying that that's wrong. I'm just saying realize that you're prescribing your personal values uh, to others as, as though they, and, and what I mean to say is don't be surprised when other people don't care about not being kind. Because it's not, it's not a part of, it's not a part of their, their shenanigan isn't to be kind so that people will respond well to them. That's not, that's not what they wake up thinking they need to do today. And so you might be surprised is why are people so mean all the time? Why can't people just be nice? Why can't people just be kind? Because they don't wake up thinking, you know, I've got to get people to be pleased with me. That's not what they're waking up thinking. All of us kind of wake up you know, those in the fear group wake up with fears and those in the anger group wake up with frustrations and they're not waking up thinking, I need to get people to like me. I need to get people to, to um, you know, to get connected to me. So they don't mind not being friendly and not being kind and not winning people over because it's not in their personal DNA to do that. And when you say, hey, that's not nice, you need to stop that, realize they're not going to necessarily share. They might go, okay, well, you know, we don't want to bother Rita here because, you know, 
uh, she's going off on us about being nice. And you're thinking, why can't they just be nice? Nice isn't a value. It doesn't get them what they want. It doesn't get them what they think they need. It gets you what you need. It gets you what you think you need, okay? So this might help you as to why people aren't friendly, why people aren't nice, because they don't need the same things you need from relationships. All right, so it bothers you when people treat other people badly. Um, you can be emotional or oversensitive and sometimes try to hide your feelings, which usually comes out as frustration or resentment when you do that, when you bury stuff down. And the thing is, is you might not want to talk about it openly, you know, that you're frustrated or hurt or feel like you're being taken for granted because you don't further want to push until you get more rejection. You take it already as rejection and you don't want more rejection, so you may not talk about it openly. But if you could talk about it openly, and sometimes you do talk about it openly, you feel glad to get it out on the table and be done with it. So what? We can go back to a happy, healthy relationship again. But you may, at times, be leery of getting it out in the open because you fear further rejection. So if, let's say, Bob rubs you the wrong way, he doesn't respond to you the way you think he should, and you'll take that as a rejection that Bob's disappointed in you or Bob doesn't find you pleasing today. And then you're going to feel hurt and feel resentment toward Bob, which will further alienate you from him and maybe now treat him in a kind of resentful, frustrated way. And um, why don't you just go to Bob and talk to him? Well, that's too direct. That's probably too direct. And if you were to go to Bob and talk to him about it, he might get in your face and be more direct and provide you with more rejection, which would make you feel worse. So your tendency is to avoid conflict because you want to avoid further rejection. You want to be pleasing to people. So you tend to avoid conflict which makes conflict go beneath the surface and simmer, which can give you sort of that martyr, frustrated, upset, you know, uh, tendency, which further alienates people away from you. So there's probably within you a desire to let's talk this out, but a fear, a fear that if we did talk it out, we might make it worse. So I'll just clam up and I just won't say anything and I'll just be a martyr. Okay, and that's where sometimes you'll read in books and stuff about twos kind of develop that martyr complex. Um, because you tend to resent other people um, when they fail to reciprocate what you believe you've earned by being so friendly and nice and kind. Um, you have a talent for sensing people's needs and you're oriented to meet those needs. So you have like a radar that's up. Like a six has a radar up to sense danger and potential threats, okay? Uh, a two has a radar, a one has a radar to sense what's wrong, what needs to be fixed, okay? Um, a two has a radar up, what do people need? Do people need a kind word? Do people need somebody to hold their hand? Do people need somebody to sit and listen? Do people need, you know, to bring them food? Do people need, what do people need? And you feel compelled, and there it is, okay, this is what the Enneagram shows us, is we're all under compulsion 
So you gotta ask yourself, is this me acting? Am I thinking about this? Because let me tell you what happens. You're in the feeling group, so feeling comes first, right? You're closest to the action group. The one, nine and eight, are in the action group. They act first, right? So you feel something, there's a need. I need to act on that feeling, that impulse. And so without thought as to whether, does that person want me to help them? Is this a safe person that I should bring into my home? Or is this a dangerous person? Am I putting myself in harm's way? Am I exhausting other people out? Or am I already exhausted myself and don't have any resources? to? That, that comes last. The thinking is way over here comes last. So you feel the impulse that there's a need and you immediately turn go to action, what do I need to do to meet that need? And then later you might think about it and think, you know, why were they so upset when I asked them if they needed help? Or was this really a, a good opportunity for me to help? Thinking comes third, it's, it's, it's the last thing that happens. Um, so realize it's an impulse within you when you see a quote unquote need in somebody it's an impulse for you to act and look this is what I've had to do as a seven is when I feel the impulse that I need to amp up the energy or do something that's exciting I have to realize that's an impulse and I can let it pass and then I can go back to doing what I was doing I don't have to get let myself get distracted on what I'm missing out that's an impulse the impulse for you is gonna be Somebody has a need. I need to meet that need. No, you don't. You don't have to. Now, if you're two, that thought is probably an overwhelming thought. When, you, when somebody comes up and they are obviously showing that there's a need in their life, like maybe they're crying or maybe they're upset or maybe they just said, you know, my husband's in the hospital or my husband's been shipped to Afghanistan and we're home and we don't have any groceries. Your impulse immediately is going to be, I need to do something. I need to take care of this person. I need to give. I need to reach in my wallet and give them money out of my pocket. I need to go shopping for them. I need to bring groceries to them. I need to sit over coffee for an hour and let them pour out their heart to me. You don't have to do any of those things. Just let that sink in for a minute. That's going to be a hard thought for you. If, you haven't, if you're new to the Enneagram, this is going to be a hard thought for you to let that just sink in for a second. You don't have to do a thing. You don't have to listen to them. You don't have to, you don't have to be kind to them. You don't have to do anything. You could literally just say, that's not my problem, and walk away. You know people that do that, right? It makes you sick inside when they do it, you know? Uh, this ain't my problem. I gotta go. I, rah, rah, rah. It makes you sick, and you think I could never do that. I could never do that. Ask yourself the question: Why couldn't you? Why can't you do that? Because it's an impulse within you that I need to be the one that takes care of this person. I need to step in. Somebody needs to do something. Okay. Now, if you can feel that impulse and then just breathe a second and let the impulse pass. And tell yourself this is two stuff this is an impulse that I feel compelled to take care of this person you know I need to let it go now ask yourself once that impulse is gone do I want to take care of this person is this person asking me for help what could I do that's within reason 
to and let your let your thinking center engage for a minute and say what could i really do that could help this person not just help them you know bring relief for a second but really help them you know change their life am i helping because i'm compelled to help or am i helping them because they really need my help it gives you just a second a little brief window to think it through for a minute and not just act on compulsion see this is what the enneagram teaches us we act on compulsion we're compelled and then when you're compelled to give aid and comfort and help to somebody and they don't respond the way you think they should then you're compelled to be resentful and frustrated you see you kind of got yourself into this mess all right you kind of got yourself into this mess and if you're going to get out of this mess you're going to have to process things differently you're going to have to say wait a minute i feel compelled to help i feel that impulse to give aid do I really need, is this what this person really needs from me? Do I need to be the one to do this? Is there somebody else that maybe needs to do this job? Could I let somebody else do this job? Could I put this person in contact with somebody else that can help them? Maybe I'm not the best person, or maybe right now is not the best time, you know, for me to, to, to act in this way. And just giving yourself that little bit of breathing room, that little window, can make the difference between being a healthy two and being an unhealthy two. All right, so it can be hard for you to give straightforward, critical um, information to people because you worry that that constructive criticism could uh, make the other person feel bad. It probably will, okay, it probably will, but here's what I know, people don't change unless they feel bad. Okay, think about that. When you have a diet, right, and you eat bad, poor food, you'll do that as long as you can get away with it until sometime when you feel bad. When you start to feel bad enough about it, either because you can't wear your pants anymore or because your health is giving out and you actually physically are feeling bad, then it will compel you to change and you'll go, you know what, I need to change. Sadness. When you, when you can't go to the circus because you spent all your money on lollipops, and every other kid gets to go to the circus and you can't and you're standing there crying that's what initiates change in your life you go oh you know what this feels terrible i don't want to do this anymore i think maybe next time i'll save my money instead of blowing it all on lollipops maybe i'll have money then to go to the circus it's when you feel bad that change happens but if you rush in every situation to keep people from feeling bad guess what maybe they'll never change so growth happens when you let people experience the natural consequences for their actions. But that's hard because you want to rescue people. Remember, the two is called the rescuer, right? I know I'm valuable because look at all my rescue projects. I rescued this cat. I rescued this frog. I rescued this turtle. I rescued this dog. I rescued this husband. Okay? Twos feel their sense of value because I came in and I rescued you know, fours feel, the, feel their value because somebody rescued me. This longing, this romantic longing, they distance themselves away from you. And then when you rescue them, then they say, see, I am a person of worth and value because I was rescue worthy. So they kind of flip exactly backwards what you're doing. 
But it's all at the same problem is, am I a person of worth? Yes, you are a person of worth and value whether anybody reciprocates anything to you or not. So if you can come to understand, I'm a person of worth and value simply because I exist. You don't have to, val- you don't have to prove your existence. You don't have to prove to us that you wor- you're worthy of existence. You are worthy of existence. And you have value whether you do anything or not for anybody. Just the inherent DNA that you're made with in the image of God, you have value and worth. And when you can operate out of that sense of worth, then you really can be a helper to people. You really can be a giver because you have something to give. If all it is is, let me give so that you'll give back to me, then that's not giving. That's making deals. That's making trades. Okay? All right, so what else we got? It bothers you a lot when somebody doesn't like you. It bothers you a lot when somebody doesn't like you. Um, you know, it bothers me too when people don't like me, but I recognize that there's just people out there that aren't. I mean, they're just whatever. You know, I mean, think about it like this. Are there foods that you don't like? Probably. You know, there's foods that you just don't like. Maybe even whole genres of foods. Maybe you hate Chinese food or Mexican food. Is there anything wrong with Chinese food? No. It's just not something you like. It's not something you care about. So you know in life that, you know, there's colors that you like. There's music that you like. There's food that you like. And then there's music you don't like and food that you don't really appreciate and smells that you don't really appreciate. You know, somebody's burning a cinnamon candle and you think man, I just hate that. Or an apple candle. You, oh, that reminds me of when I was a kid at school. I hate that smell. There's nothing inherently wrong with those things. They're just, they just, for whatever reason, you don't make a connection with it. And you don't think anything about that. But when it comes to people, you see how you have this unrealistic expectation that when it comes to people, they're all going to like me. Well, you recognize that there's people in your life that you don't really appreciate or care for or want to be around. Then what is this compulsion within you that wants everybody to find you pleasing? You see, it goes back to this issue of worth and value. Because it's kind of like, well, if people don't like me and people aren't pleased by me, then what does that mean about me? What's wrong with me? I'm broken, I guess, in some way. Yes, you are broken. We're all broken. And you're broken in the style of two-ness. I'm broken in the style of seven-ness. And I've got to deal with my own brokenness and you've got to deal with yours. And part of what it is, is is people don't like me and that's okay. You know, not everybody's gonna appreciate me. Okay, that's fine. But here's what's awesome. It's the people that you go home to. That's, That's what matters. The people that you go home to and sometimes twos, I think, can lose sight of this because they, they, they're they busy sometimes making connections with all these strangers um, that sometimes maybe you can forget about. It's the people you go home to that matter, right? That's what, that's what really matters. And my guess is those people love you and care about you. All right, let's keep going. What else we got? To avoid conflict, because you don't want to hurt relationships. We got that again. You want everybody to be happy. You want to be the reason everybody's happy. Um, That's a lot of pressure, though, by the way. Okay. And then the last thing is that 
natural ability to see the good in others and you can't help loving it when you hear someone say we couldn't have done it without you um it makes you feel great about yourself like you like you really you know came in fit the position took care of people and have that sense of worth and value all right i'm grateful to uh the book the nine types of leadership by beatrice chestnut fantastic book uh, as always be present to life and um, don't miss what's right in front of you for, you know, something better on the other side. Something better that, you know, may happen or might happen or you wish would happen. And I think with twos, you know, the biggest thing is remembering that you are a person of worth and value, whether anybody reciprocates that or not. And when you can understand that and get in touch with that, how much you are loved by God, how much you are loved by the universe. Okay, when you can get in touch with that, how much you were loved and you can get full you know on that then full people do what fill up others empty people do what empty people go looking for handouts all right full people go and fill other people um so i'll see you guys next time take care god bless